I don't think we're putting the sermon title uh, on the slides for those watching at home. The sermon is entitled, Making the End Meet When Life Happens. Kind of a play on words, making the ends meet. I want to know when life happens, do you have enough? Do you have enough money to make ends meet? Do you have enough faith to make ends meet when life happens? What makes a good ending? Some people want the story all wrapped up neatly, all the tensions resolved, all the mysteries solved, all the tragedies redeemed. The only good ending is, and they all lived happily ever after. Is that you? Is that the way you want the story to end? For other people, the mysteries revealed in the story need to stand. All the tensions should not be resolved. Sometimes a good ending even introduces new conflicts that we've got to deal with on our own after the story is over. Now, according to these folks, we're supposed to walk away wondering what really happened or what's going to happen, struggling with what it all meant, with what it all means. These endings suggest that life doesn't always end happily ever after, so neither should a good story. My friend, Dr. John Ballinger, keeps reminding me that all true stories end in death, which is harsh but true. So maybe we should prefer a harder, unresolved ending to our stories. I asked some friends about this yesterday. I texted several of my uh, text groups and said, tell me about your favorite endings to books or movies. And I got a variety of suggestions. Somebody said the mystery thriller, The Usual Suspects, has a great ending. And somebody said the sound of music, you know, when the nuns come and help the Von Trapps escape from the Nazis. Someone said, though it's almost become a cliche, the ending of the movie, The Sixth Sense, is one of the best. I don't think I've ever been so surprised at the ending of a movie as at the end of The Sixth Sense. um, Someone said The Princess Bride which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And others suggested The Prince of Tides had a great ending, The Field of Dreams, you know, when Roy's dad comes out of the corn and they get to play catch together on that field. Another of the great movies is The Shawshank Redemption. Somebody mentioned that this morning in our uh, discussion. That ending when Andy has escaped from prison and his buddy Red meets him on the beach in Mexico. Does it get any better than that? In this exchange yesterday, I had votes for the endings of Little Miss Sunshine and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri and Rising Out of Hatred and The Old Man and the Sea. What's your favorite ending? Someone said the ending of the first of the endless string of Rocky movies. And this person also warned me that for the diehard fans of 007, the new James Bond ends disappointingly. I hope that doesn't ruin it for you. After all these suggestions, somebody just said, any movie that ends happily ever after. Some of us just need that resolution, don't we? In response to that comment, somebody else said, you know, though I would like to be a happily ever after guy, I've just lived too much. Because life happens. The unresolved tensions and questions need to stand. Well, whichever you prefer, 
The book of Job has an ending for you. I summarized that book for you a couple of weeks ago, and without having done any research about the ending, I said that it was my suspicion that someone had added those final verses of Job almost like an afterthought. An editor, one of those happily ever after types, needed to wrap it up smoothly, so he took the book and went back to the opening story and added an epilogue that resolved all the conflict perfectly. Not only was Job justified in the end, he was rewarded doubly for his faithfulness, twice as rich, twice as many children as when the tale started, his lifespan doubled to 140 years. In her commentary on the book of Job, Carol Newsom gives us this insight. She says, some commentators have attributed the discrepancies between the frame story, that's the very beginning and the very end, and the poetic material, the long poetic material in the beginning. Some have attributed the discrepancy between the frame story and the poetic material to an editor who combined the beginning and the end with an old traditional tale the end of an old traditional tale with a long poetic dialogue from a different, different author, not bothering to smooth out the inconsistencies. Maybe the two ends are from one editor, the long poetic in the middle is from a different editor. But, she says, it's also possible that a single author wrote the entire book, artfully using contrasting styles and sharply disjunctive transitions to create the illusion of two different compositions. When the ending is considered as the conclusion of that didactic tale, the happy ending provides a smooth and satisfying conclusion. When it is considered as the conclusion of the book as a whole, the ending creates dissonance and disruption. There is this aching need to end things happily ever after. I think we all have that need to end things happily ever after. That prosperity gospel that I keep telling you about is as old as religion itself. It shows up in the Old Testament as what some scholars call the Deuteronomic theology, what Philip Yancey refers to as contract faith. Do this, get that. Love God, get rewarded. Be faithful and live happily ever after. I understand. People want to know they're not being good for nothing. If there's no reward, if you don't get anything for being faithful, well, wouldn't it just be easier to live any kind of life you wanted to live? To live for yourself? To live for the moment? Billy Joel says the sinners have much more fun anyway, so why burden yourself with loving your neighbor, doing unto others, if you don't get some ultimate reward for it? Do this, get that from God. We have a strong sense of fairness that we ought to get something for our hard work, and we don't do very well with mystery and ambiguity and uncertainty so the happy endings that tie everything up are understandably attractive. You can easily see this with the ending of the Gospel of Mark. Let me share that with you right quick. Likely our oldest gospel, this first ever good news of Jesus, ends questionably. 
In the oldest manuscripts of the book of Mark, the women come to treat the body of Jesus and they find the tomb empty. They have no idea what has happened, and the writer says, so they fled, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid, period, end of the manuscript. End, end of the story? The story of Jesus can't end this way, can it? Where's the happy ending, the conclusive proof of the resurrection, the miraculous validation of Christian faith? Well, some editor could not live with those questions. So at a later date, some editor took that original manuscript and added a story about an appearance of the resurrected Jesus to Mary Magdalene, and then an appearance to two other disciples, and then an appearance to 11, the, the remaining 11 disciples. And if that wasn't enough, if seeing the resurrected Christ wasn't enough, this editor also suggested that true believers would speak in tongues and drink deadly poison and pick up snakes. That's all in the ending to the book of Mark and live happily ever after. How should it have ended? The story of Jesus. What's the best ending for Mark's gospel? Question and ambiguity, they fled and told no one for they didn't know what had happened, period, end of story. Or should it have ended with the confident certitude that leads to handling rattlesnakes in worship? And what about the ending of Job? In ancient Israel, thieves were required to pay double to the injured party. So it's a little ironic, isn't it, that Job is rewarded, paid double for his trouble by God. And is that the way the story should end? What is the best ending for a good story? I am interested in this question of endings because of what the ending of Job's story can teach us about success and sorrow triumph and tragedy, reality and our response. How will we respond when life inevitably happens? Now, I should not have to tell you by now, if you've listened to me for any of my 21 years of preaching, I should not have to tell you that I fall pretty far on the side of ambiguity over happy endings but it's not because I'm all doom and gloom. I'm also a half glass full kind of guy. My concern, especially as we read the Bible, is just that too many people import the implications of the happy ending and all the suggestions of the prosperity gospel and the notion that our relationship with God is more transactional than transformational and that idea of faith sets a kind of expectation that can only disappoint and disillusion most people. I think we set most people up for failure because too often life does not end with a happy ending. And if we've told them that's what faith is about, maybe that explains why so many are walking away. Many people 
Maybe most people walk around with this notion in their heads, grounded deeply somewhere in the back of their gray matter, that life ought to be fair, that hard work always pays off, that God never gives us more than we can handle, that everything happens for a reason. Have you heard those phrases? That faith at its best is some great bargain with God that if we are faithful, God will pull the strings in our favor and we will live happily ever after. My preference for the ending of Job's narrative of suffering is not the ending of that long poetic epic, no answers, no resolution, no fulfillment. My preference isn't that over the happily ever after ending. It is the tension of the book the way we have it. What I mean is, my preference is that we leave both in place, that there is both an ambiguous ending and a happy ending. We should pray for happy endings. We should work for happy endings. We should live as if happy endings are possible because they are. Sometimes life happens that way and God is in the happy ending. But let us not be disillusioned. The happy endings, especially those happy endings of the miraculous type, those happy endings are the exception in life and not the rule. So let's be people of faith whose version of faith lets us face life with a strong dose of reality. Life is hard. Life is not fair. Suffering happens. And there are no reasons, at least not reasons grounded in some divine plot God is weaving beyond our control and knowledge. Life just happens. You know that. You've experienced that. But faith gives us the freedom and the courage to choose how, we'll, how we will respond. We can sit back passively waiting for our miracle, hoping the happily ever after will just fall out of the sky and save us from our troubles and risk losing it all when that doesn't happen. That's one choice. Or we can choose to live with resolve, facing life with our own righteousness, as Job did. Confidence in our own rightness, combating our troubles, confronting even God with the confidence that when life happens, we will have enough faith to make ends meet. The ending bringing us back to the beginning and preparing us to do it all over again, to write the next chapter, hoping for a better ending the next time. Life does happen. How will you respond? I pray that you have enough faith to make ends meet. May it be so. Amen.